The Homance Chronicles. The female equivalent of a bromance. So many poor choices. But so many good takes. But so many poor choices. <laughs> <laughs> this is The Homance Chronicles, and I'm Sarah. And I'm Nicole. I got so excited about telling y'all about our hoe this week that I forgot that we started recording. Here we go. <laughs> yep, sure did. And Nicole's just staring at me. Are you gonna are you gonna do it or no? <laughs> are you gonna, I was just okay. like, well, hopefully she remembers to cut out this beginning. <laughs> no, we're gonna keep it in. We're gonna make him suffer. Just kidding. Okay. So we are back with another hoe of history this week, and it's going to have to be a two-parter, y'all. This lady had some, she had quite the life, and the fact that she is from, like, the early 1800s, it's so awesome to have all this information on her. So. All right, well, first. me and Sir William are strapped in. Oh, God. And knocking mics over. <laughs> actually that did not make a lot of noise but it was funnier than it sounded <laughs> oh boy for those of you who who have no idea what's going on sir william is sitting in her lap and he is thrashing wildly his head back and forth because he <laughs> wants her to just hold him deeply <laughs> yeah he missed uh, me i was on vacation and uh he was being watched by basically two different neighbors, daytime and nighttime duties. And uh, when I came home today, I actually was like, does he recognize me? Like, I felt like it took a minute for him to remember who I was. And then now he's been suction cupped to me ever since he figured out. Oh my it out. gosh. Yeah. He was like, oh no, I, I know you. I know you. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's adorable though. Mm-hmm. I hope I hope his adoption comes soon because he does need a good forever home. So if anybody is interested, holler at Nicole. <laughs> okay, I hope we're ready for our hoe because I sure am. I even spent time on this like not today, like over the weekend. And I was like this, we have to do two parts on this woman. It's crazy. Okay, so our hoe this, this and next week is Emma Goldman. And... Uh, she was born in uh, June of 1869, and she passed away in 1940. So she had a fairly good long life. Um, she is from um, what is now Lithuania. It's Kovno, Russia. Kovno government, governorate, Russian Empire to Orthodox. She was, yeah. So that was like before the czar was done type shit like early early in the russian times so she was born to a lithuanian jewish family they were orthodox and usually we don't go far into like the moms and dads on this but i think it's i feel really important on this one because it really (laughs) i can't stop watching him and then I've got August in my lap who won't let me live my life either. So I know. I know Sir William does this thing where he, I call it air swimming. He looks like he's swimming, but he's clearly not in water. So it all oh, really, I would call that more like a, 
claps his little paws to the you know up top and then brings him down it's hilarious does. yep there he goes oh, there he goes <laughs> anyway okay so usually we don't go into the parents but i felt like this one it was because uh she had a lot of commentary on a lot of her life so she like she injected a lot of her thoughts of the stuff that happened when she was younger and they were recorded so here we go so her mother she had two children for their first husband but he actually ended up passing away from tuberculosis and she was completely fucking devastated like so much so that her parents actually arranged a second marriage for her and emma says whatever love she had died with a young man to whom she had been married at the age of 15. So at 15 years old, she was married and she was so deeply, deeply in love with this man. They had two children and then he passed away. And then she had to get another, she was like in an arranged marriage. So um, apparently Emma says it was mismated from the start. Her father abraham goldman who is a fucking scumbag invested her mother's inheritance into a business that quickly failed pattern emerging Mm. not like our typical pattern worse so after that they had little to no money and little to no emotional connection well no emotional connection at all so the parents were like we don't like each other but we're making this works for the kids so it made home life incredibly tense for everybody. And so this is Emma was born, of course. Uh, and then when her mother got pregnant with Emma, um, her dad hoped that he, she would be a boy because if she were to be a female, that would mean he was a failure. Uh, she was the first and only girl of four children. So he did, in fact, have his three boys afterwards her dad would beat them all the fucking time especially her because she was the most rebellious and i think it's because she was the first he had some issues with her being a female and her mother literally made no attempt for this man to stop or help her kids feel better or safe and she would rarely even get involved in what was going on so later emma speculated that it was her her father's temper to sexual frustrations which yes probably (laughs) that's odd yeah i mean so like as we as the story evolves i'm gonna tell you a lot about like what she went through and like her the way she interjects into these stories is like i can't wait to get the whole out but anyway so her she had two older half sisters and they were actually around the eldest her her name was helena she was like the motherly of basically everybody in the family so she provided the comfort like that her real mother lacked but the second was total fucking bitch um and then her younger brother the first of the boys passed away when he was sick oh minor tragedy i don't really know what happened so then the family moved into a village where her pop ran an inn and she felt a little tingle for a little servant named petrushka so like she wasn't that old when she recognized that she was feeling a little tingle for him. She also witnessed at this time a peasant getting whipped with one of those like you know it's a stick and it's got the five things at the end of it, so it's like one of those weird whips like inflict more pain. Um, and it literally changed her life 
and contributed to her lifelong distaste, distaste for violent authority. Dun, dun, dun. I wrote that mm-hmm. too. <laughs> so when she was seven, yes, after the little tingle happened. So like she was seven, younger than seven, and she's already feeling away from some boys. My goodness, Emma. The family moved to the Prussian city of Konigsberg, which was also part of the Russian Empire, and it was enrolled. And she was enrolled in reschedule, reschool, reschool, which was like a secondary school. She had a teacher that would beat the kid ruler, and she even was lucky enough to get a male teacher that liked to molest the young girls. She managed to get him fired, and uh, that was like her first little victory. She had befriended and it's like Sir one William's of the other. Clapping for the victory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, she ended up befriending uh, an older person in the school system that would listen to her, and so that was like the one bright spot when she was really young. Uh, she also was accepted into the gymnasium which is like a prep school in that area in that time so like um i believe like austria anything i feel like the russian empire kind of covered gymnasiums at at some point but uh so everybody basically gave her like the go-ahead but her religious teacher wouldn't give her a certificate of good behavior so she couldn't attend so like she wasn't necessarily full-on against religion but she was eventually an anarchist so i don't feel though as though she had any kind of religious anything inklings at all not even at home because she was jewish i don't think they practiced it that much um so i don't know if her religion teacher was jew or not but yeah so again this is like early 1800s so again her dad was a total fucking slub he took them to the Russian capital of St. Petersburg, where he had one store after another fail. He would open a store and it would fail, open a something up and it would fail. So eventually the kids all had to go to work. So as a teenager, Goldman begged her asshole dad to let her return to school. And in, rep- in response to this, she threw her French book into the fire and shouted, Girls do not have to learn much. All Jewish daughters needs, uh, all a Jewish daughter needs how to prepare let fish cut noodles fine and give a man plenty of children what an awesome guy all right yep so in spite of that she did keep up on her own education and she eventually read the book what is to be done published in 1863 about a young woman who adopts a nihilist philosophy escapes her shitty family to live freely and organizes a sewing cooperative this is something that continued to inspire her throughout her life while she was dreaming or what she was like you know going through it um she was dreaming of escape and her dad was just insisting on her having a domesticated future and she was just not having it um he tried to arrange for her to be married at the scene and she obviously was like you can get fucked i'm not doing that she probably didn't say that though of course the um, they continuously fought about it and he actually complained that she was becoming a loose woman like at 15 years old she was a loose woman oh wow and 
So she was like, you can keep saying this, but I'm only going to marry for love. So while they moved to this new city and they started having to go to work, she ended up finding a job at a corset shop. And I'm sure you can imagine that the clientele in that shop were definitely women, but also gross, creepy men. And she was oh. working there. She would have, yeah, she would have to fend off like the super gross cops and stalkers, like police officers. But again, this is in Russia and the Russian Empire, so it's not like. I mean, let's be honest. It's it'd be the same fucking anywhere. Still is. <laughs> Who am I trying to kid? So, um, at one point, she was taken back to a hotel room for what she called a violent contract that forever soured her intentions with men. So I'm pretty sure she got raped aggressively. Yeah. And I have to assume based on how I, how, what I read was that she was essentially like coaxed into the situation, like super lied to, and she was expecting something different than what actually happened. And she said to the effect of like how could a contract be between two humans be such a violent act i can't imagine you know this being okay so while she consent she continued to call it a violent contract um a lot of historians biographers say she was raped mm-hmm. uh okay i mean what was the oh well i guess before you move on it's like mm-hmm. So she's coaxed into a room with this man somehow. And what was going to be her payoff? Like for a contract, it seems like you've got two sides or, in, or she was supposed to get something out of it, but maybe it's just a, right. the language that she uses. I don't know. I, well, I mean, yeah, that could be it too. Like a translation issue. Okay. So Yes. Cut to 1885, her eldest, the one that was like the mother figure, Helena, she was planning to move to New York, where her other shitty sister was already living with her husband. Emma wanted to go really fucking bad, and her dad just absolutely refused. Even when the eldest sister was willing to pay for everything, he was like, absolutely not, it's not happening. So Emma finally said she would throw herself into the fucking river if she couldn't go. And I have to assume the river that she was describing was like big, torrential, Mm -hmm. (laughs) terrifying, could take Mm -hmm. her out. So finally, this man showed a semblance of empathy and relented. So in December, uh, on December 29th, 1885, fun fact they made it before Ellis Island. Oh, it wasn't a fucking place just yet. They missed it by like seven years. So they made it to New York City's Castle Garden, which was the then entry for immigrants. They made eventually their way up to Rochester, New York. So northern, uh, uh, north New York, upper New York um, with her sister, her shitty sister and the shitty sister husband. Like a year later, as things politically were starting to change in Russia and anti-Semitism was becoming very popular, her family, parents, and brothers came escaping everything. 
So everybody's now in America. Everybody's now in the same house in America. <laughs> in upstate oh, wow. New York. Yeah. So yeah, lots of people in one place. Um, she ended up finding herself a job as a seamstress in like a factory setting, sewing overcoats for more than 10 hours a day, earning only two and a half dollars a week. She was denied when she was actually asked, she was denied when she asked for a raise, bro. That was only 75 bucks a week. 75 in today's wow. So she quit, went to a smaller shop. Um, and that's where she met one of the first people that kind of changed her life. Uh, Jacob Kirshner. They had a love for books, travel, and dancing. They also had a lot of lot in common with how they, how much they detested monotony and like factory work and just how they don't, they weren't treated very well. So, uh, they got married four months after they met. (laughs) In 1887, <laughs> he then immediately um, moved in with her family. Oh, go ahead. Oh, gosh. Um, is it spelled K-U-S-H-N-E-R, Tushner? It could be. I think it's either that or K-E-R-S-H. Oh, because I'm like, well, you know, Jared Tushner. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In today's time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was like somebody famous. <laughs> I wonder if this. Well, is the Jerry famous. Kushner was uh, senior advisor to Donald Trump when he was president. Right. So, so that's that, like, yeah. is this is this the same family? It could be. Um. So yeah, they got married after four months. Then he moved in with her family in the house on their wedding night she discovered he was impotent immediately after that the emotional and physical distance continued to grow eventually she became so invested in the political turmoil that was happening around her he started to become jealous and suspicious and even threatened suicide she left him after that they divorced a year later However, when he was threatening to kill himself, he threatened to poison himself if she didn't return. She did actually return, but after three months, she left again. After that, her parents considered her behavior loose. There's that word again. And she was not welcomed back into the home. So she was left carrying her sewing machine in one hand. And five dollars in a bag in the other. And that was that. She left. Enter New York. Wow. Insane. I can't imagine leaving. The the irony is that she. Well, but the irony is that she left Russia or old Lithuania to get away from them. And then they followed her. And she can't get away from them <laughs> until now they're telling her to go away. Right. Forcing and her to be exactly. homeless. <laughs> like shitty, shitty fucking people. Like, see how important her home life is? And the fact that. Yeah, like, that's awful. She's like, and- all I wanted was to be away from you. <laughs> and then you followed me here. 
wanted to have my education and be away from you fucking people. And here we are. I need to leave. So hello, New York City. On her mm. first day, she was at Saks Cafe where all the radicals were hanging out. Remember, she was getting into the politicking and everything. And she was really not driving with how everything was going on in the factory scene. Um, she didn't like capitalism and saw that people were very much being taken advantage of. And so she fit into the scene really, really well because these people were radicals just like her. You know, anarchists. She mm-hmm. was introduced to Alexander Berkman, who was one of the men who would absolutely change her life for the rest of it. He invited her to a speech to hear a guy named Johann Most. He was the editor of the radical publication called Free Height at the time. So basically what would happen is they would have these like propaganda publications. And if you were like of like-minded then you would get basically employed at the propaganda paper and so um he also was an advocate of propaganda of the dead which was a group of people against the use of violence to instigate change which i feel like it's pretty cool i can dig that i'd join it so he he did a speech and she was so impressed And so he actually ended up, they met each other and he took her under his wing, trained her to speak in public and was insisting as they were going through it, that she take my place when I'm gone. One of her, actually her first public speech was back in Rochester where her family was. So she convinced her sister not to say anything so they wouldn't show up and find out, you know what I mean? She got up on stage and it was like old school. She completely fucking blacked out. Her brain went blank. Um, she said while she was on stage, her life in New York City flashed before her eyes and the words came without hesitation. She essentially let the words flow from her faith. <laughs> I am hilarious. <laughs> um, and she like, she like, blacked out started speaking words of truth from her own experiences and um felt super empowered by this and really felt like she could she had a purpose now so she traveled and started speaking in different areas and cities and places this word of johan most and his publication free height um while she was traveling though she became really tired of being like the mouthpiece for this guy and was and it was like not interested in how very controlling he was like she would want to interject her own stuff into these speeches and he was like absolutely not you have to go by my word and she was like no nah, i'm done so then she left and went to a publication called the d anatomy all good friends with mr alexander berkman who she referred to lovingly as sasha She and Sasha moved into a communal apartment after becoming lovers. They lived with his cousin, modest Frida Stein, who was important in the um, anarchist, uh, what is it called? Anarchist groups or whatever. And they moved into an apartment, um, like I said, a communal apartment with them. In 1892, Goldman 
Berkman and Stein joined forces and opened an ice cream shop in Worcester, Mass. It so, sounds like an attorney's office, not an right? ice cream shop. <laughs> <laughs> right. And like, oh, ice cream shop. But then a few months after um, operating the shop, they elected to participate in the homestead strike situation that was in Pittsburgh. Okay. Now, homestead strike was pure fuckery. It it happened in June of 1892. A guy named Andrew Carnegie and his company, Carnegie Steel Company, were trying to strike a deal with the union. Uh, or I'm sorry, strike a union deal with the amalgamated or amalgamated association of ironworkers. So, you know, the big, long, fancy word for this is a group of people who are for the workers. And this is a group of people who are not for the workers. The factory manager, Henry Clark Brick, absolutely despised the unions. He thought they were a bunch of crybaby cry titty babies. Absolutely not. I'm not going to give you guys any concessions. Fuck you, basically. So because of him, they couldn't reach any agreements um, for like workers' rights. So he locked the factors out, brought new factory workers in who didn't care because they hadn't been there. They just needed jobs and hired um, 300 Pinkerton security guards to guard these men while they worked, while the people that were supposed to be factory workers looking to get human rights, essentially, were being told, get fucked, you're not coming back. Um, so craziness uh, is that if you're willing to pay that much for all that security, why didn't you just give the original workers more money or well, sure more benefits or more accommodations or whatever? Yeah, it that no, that's not common sensical shit back. Come on. So on July 6th, a fight broke out between 300 of those guards and a crowd of the armed union workers. The shit lasted for 12 fucking hours. Seven guards and nine strikers were eventually killed. At this point, the country starting to hear about what's going on. Newspapers are picking it up. And that's when Emma and her man decided they needed to assassinate Frick. You know? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. This is what shit starts to get wild. So remember. Let's just do a little recap. She's a Russian immigrant. <laughs> yeah. She's an anarchist. And now well, she wants Jewish to be, anarchist. Yes. And <laughs> now she wants to be an assassin. <laughs> go, go, Emma. I got you, girl. Like, let's go. <laughs> wow. Um, why you ask? Because they thought it would inspire workers to strike out against the capitalistic system around the country. So they were trying to influence people um, to do better by themselves and by killing somebody. (laughs) So, yeah, that makes sense. Right. So the husband, or I'm sorry, so Berkman says, hey. I got, we'll do this. You know, I got this. Okay. I'm going to go down to Pittsburgh. I'm going to do the deed. You stay up here and you continue to do, um, 
like associated propaganda, etc. So some of one of my favorite parts of this story is fast approaching. So while she, he was gone, she needed to make a little bit of money, and she was she had read a book called Crime and Punishment. She mused that the like heroine, I guess, in the book, she says she had become a prostitute in order to support her little brothers and sisters. Sensitive Sonia sell her body. Why not I? So she decided to take up street life. <laughs> and she was still married on- at this time. I don't think they were actually married. I think that they were very much just, I don't know if they ever tied the knot because I didn't really see that. So, but yes, she certainly was. But her mindset was, we need money. I can do this. I can make it work. Uh, so this is a direct, a direct clip. Once on the street, Golan caught the eye of a man who took her into a saloon, bought her a beer, gave her $10. She did not have the knack and told her to quit the business. <sighs> wow. Listen, honey, you don't got it. <laughs> Here's a beer and $10. $10. That's a lot of money back then. She was so astounded. She just could not speak. She was rendered speechless. And so she wrote to her eldest sister, Helena, claiming illness, asking for $15. Oh, my God. That was a very short-lived street life. (laughs) Like the shortest, shortest lived. So on July 23rd, her man Berkman got access to Frick's office while carrying a hand. He ended up shooting the dude three times and stabbed him in the leg once. He ended that up. That seems getting, unnecessary. <laughs> right. Well, he didn't fucking die. He didn't die. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, really? Yes. A group of workers, far from joining his little, you know, attentat or whatever, uh, his, like, mindset, whatever, uh, they came and beat the shit out of Berkman, beat him unconscious, and then he was, the cops came and, like, carried him away. And so then Berkman was convicted of attempted murder and sentenced to 22 years in prison. can't believe you shot him three times and he didn't die back in those days that's crazy (laughs) you'd expect that he to like die from blood loss or an infection or something but right dysentery i don't know who knows i don't understand it either but 22 years for attempted murder (laughs) so um at this point Police started after her, but they really couldn't find anything. So they tried to get her landlord to let her go. Or what is it called? Evict her. And also nobody, nobody supported what they did. Nobody in the radical groups, in the anarchist groups, like everybody was like really 
what the fuck guys and even her mentor most condemned her actions basically publicly so um while he was up on stage one day she ended up making her way with a toy horse whip and she ended up on stage wait hang on so she oh yeah so she brought her horse whip to a public lecture and demanded when she was on stage that he explained his betrayal to her like he wasn't defending her actions and um he essentially condemned her again on stage so or he basically dismissed her so she took out this toy horse whip hit him with it broke it on her knee and hurled the pieces at him <laughs> god she's like the ah, drama you the drama so uh she later says she regretted the assault confiding to a friend at the three one does not reason she's not wrong she's not fucking wrong hmm. so cut to uh 1894 so there's this thing called the panic of 1893 and essentially the after effects in the united states was one of the most worst economic crises that they'd ever experienced now they're at like the highest rate of unemployment imaginable 20% there were hunger de- hunger demonstrations that basically gave way to riots on occasion and at one point she started speaking to a crowd of men and women in unity um there was about 3000 people in union square where she encouraged the unemployed workers to essentially take everything by force but that was definitely a super misinterpretation. So uh, she says, well, then demonstrate before the palaces of the rich demand work. If they do not give you work, demand bread. If they deny you both take bread. That's what she claims she said at the end, like after everything was all said and done, but absolutely not. Nobody, nobody was okay with it. Um, essentially, she incited a riot. So or she didn't she didn't incite a riot she basically was like encouraging people and they thought she was trying to incite a riot so later arrested when she was in philly and returned to new york city for inciting to riot and while she was on the train there with the cop he said he'd reduce the charges if um she started to like give up all of her rebel friends and she was absolutely not interested in that at all. So she responded by tossing uh, ice cold water in his face from the glass that she had in her hand. <laughs> so while she was in custody, um, like detained or whatever, she was interviewed by a couple of people and <clears throat> one of the reporters called her a modern Joan of Arc, but she was still sent to jail. <laughs> Well, yeah, because I mean, a journalist's opinion of somebody isn't going to change the sentencing. No, certainly not. Um, I think that even though she like had the positive publicity, the the testimony that the like cop gave 
And in fact, the district attorney questioned her about her anar anarchism, as well as how she was an atheist. And essentially the jug was the jug. The judge was like, you're just a dangerous woman. And so she was only sentenced to one year. But that's when she ended up having an attack of rheumatism and she ended up her, making her way into armory where she found a doctor friend and she decided she was going to start studying medicine. So not only was she studying Jail? medicine. Yes. Yes. Okay. In Blackwell Island's penitentiary. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so while she was in there, not only did she start studying medicine, but she was also reading books by American activists and novelists and poets and philosophers. And so she was released after only 10 months. She didn't even have to serve a full year, which is just two months shy, but still. Um, when she was released, there was a crowd of nearly 3,000 people that greeted her at the Thalia Theater in New York City. And after that, she soon became swamped with requests for interviews and lectures. So like okay, girl, you finally got some positive publicity out of it. You don't have to pretend like you're going to go ahead and be a sex worker in the streets. <laughs> Assassin people, yeah. That, that too. Um, <laughs> so he wanted to make money and she decided that she wanted to continue the medical studies that she had started when she was locked up. But she wanted to go into midwifery and massage, which were not options in the U.S. So what does she do? Quickly sails over to fucking Europe to attend lectures in London, Glasgow, Edinburgh. That's where she also met <clears throat> renowned anarchists that were from the European era or from the European side. Enrico Maltista, Luis Michael, and Peter Koprikin. Koprikin? And um, eventually in Vienna, this is what she received her two diplomas for midwifery, but she went immediately back to the U.S. to put them to use. So <laughs> again, these women and this trend of at some point they end up in Europe. Yeah, it's crazy. Okay. At so we're point, approaching the last. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. But also, like, all the time it takes to sail over there, do the lecturing, learn everything, and be like, okay, I'm going to go, go back now. Like, it's just so much picking up and leaving. Like, I feel there's no foundation for any of these people. Like, I'd miss my cats. Shit. <laughs> okay. And so, it's interesting that she wanted to go into midwifery, but it doesn't sound like she had children. No. Not that I saw. But she didn't get married till later. So... She went from being in jail and having these, uh, having nothing to all of a sudden being famous. People are asking her to do lectures. People are asking her to perform midwifery duties on them. She was actually the first cross-country tour by an anarchist speaker <laughs> in the United States. Then she ended up going back uh, to Europe in November of 1899 to speak more. This is where she met another Czech anarchist in London. Um, and that's where they went then 
to France to help organize the anarchist Congress that hung out like on the outskirts of Paris. Wow. You know what's interesting is that (laughs) she doesn't believe in religion, but she believes very hard in not believing believing it. Yeah. Yeah. Like she has such a strong sense of belief. It's just in choosing to not believe in it. Like it's so weird. Like, yeah. And I, I don't know. I just feel like I'm not very religious. I don't practice any type of religion by any means, but I'm also not an anarchist. Like I'm not like, I I think the definition is passionate. Right. But I also feel like be a possibility the definition of anarchist back then was a little bit light compared to what it is now <laughs> okay but i'm like man she really chose to dive into not believing <laughs> and she also don't forget was a proponent of nonviolent authority but she continued to just acts we'll get into it so she ended up going back to the states and moved to chicago after the guy from the 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 czech anarchist came and immigrated from london so they ended up moving to chicago where they shared a place with a bunch of her friends okay so next section and our last section for this episode there's so much more um okay so on september 6 1901 a guy named leon i can't say his name i'm fucking bad at it his name is leon c and he was an unemployed factory worker and an anarchist he ended up shooting president william mckinley twice during a public speaking event in buffalo new york he died eight days later of course leon was immediately arrested interrogated around the clock when he was being interrogated he claimed to be an anarchist and said he essentially was inspired to act after going and attending one of the speeches that goldman gave so immediately they were like fuck yeah we got her again so they went and used that as pretext to charge her with helping to plan mckinley's murder or assassination they found her remember buffalo new york they found her in chicago that where she shared that place and she ended up getting arrested with 10 other fucking people so they're like oop little rat's nest let's get you all (laughs) imagine just out of nowhere you're arrested and you're like for what and then they're like oh assassinating the president and she's like what (laughs) yes yes hang on who (laughs) that's cute so Earlier, before Leon did what he did, it turns out he definitely tried to become friends with her and the rebels um, when she was in Cleveland. 
And he was asking her advice on books that he should read. In July of 1901, he came to, he came, he appeared at a, a place that, uh, like one of the rebels houses. And she was asking, or he was asking a bunch of really weird questions. And they kind of like assumed that he was like an undercover cop or like somebody trying to spy on so they basically remained really distant from him and essentially said, this dude's a spy. Don't give him time of day. Um, so Leon would repeatedly deny the fact that she was involved. And although he denied it, there was no real evidence of it. She was detained for this time for like, I think about two weeks then they finally recognized that none of them trusted him as an insider so they all got let go and due to her having her midwifery certificate she also offered to nurse the president back to health <laughs> because he was I after thought he all, died eight days really later. a human being he did so i have to imagine it was like they they found her, got her within a day or two, and she was like, hey, wait a minute, I'll help. And they're like, no, bitch, shut the fuck up. And they detained her. He passed away while she was still being detained. Um, so although Leon was, it was obvious that he had like a lot of mental illnesses, issues going on, he was convicted of murder and executed. Um, so although she was not involved he was kind of a weirdo she did feel bad for him because of his mental illnesses and she refused to condemn him for his actions she stands she stood vigilant and alone in this <laughs> friends people that supported her including her man was like you need to stop this is insanity and she was like he he's a super sensitive being and she basically chastised the groups for abandoning him she even was vilified in the press as the high priestess of anarchy wow <laughs> yes okay so um many newspapers definitely said the anarchist movement was responsible for the murder and in the wake of these events, socialism gained more support over anarchism in the U.S. radical movement. It's insane to me. <laughs> wow. So the amount of power that she had. Honestly, like she changed the direction of the political course by just Existing? chilling yeah <laughs> speaking her mind speaking her truth um so then theodore roosevelt we all know him he came into office and he declared his intent to crack down not only on against anarchists but against all active and passive sympathizers with anarchists and that's where we're going to leave it for today because the next chapter is wild <laughs> Wow, we. Um, but we'll leave it with after he was executed, after Leon was executed, 
she actually decided to become very seclusive and from 1903 to 1913 lived in new york city and essentially like retreated to anonymity in nursing so she stopped being emma golden and she just became a nurse and so that's where we're at we'll come back next week okay wowee yeah there's there's like more murder (laughs) um more social justice that includes like you know birth control women's rights she had something to do with world war one <laughs> she's Fuck's busy sake. wow mm-hmm. wow, yeah, wow wow so yeah this first section was i feel like was really to lay the foundation of the rest of her life <laughs> my gosh that's insane i mean how old <laughs> is she at this point do you know um well if she was born in 1869 and it was 1903 69 79 89 99 at this point she was like 40 some change she was not done absolutely not fucking done she she was going until 1940 she did not stop she may have slowed down a little bit but your girl didn't stop wow that's a pretty action-packed four decades Right. And don't forget, she was an Orthodox Jew. So right. World War One madness. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you so much for doing the deep dive and had to giving I'm us golden. all of the information. I mean, so much so that we have to do a two-parter. Yeah. Well, I figured first and foremost she deserved it but second of all the fact that she had a biography and she was able to go back and comment on all of these things i thought it was just great to include it all (laughs) oh man emma goodness gracious i know poor seth he's like what are you doing like i'm writing my book report leave me alone (laughs) he's like okay and then I tell him about all these crazy things and he's like, that's wild. <laughs> that's all he's got for me. I'm like, I know. I can't wait to tell the call. <laughs> Little thing. Too. Oh, it, it is. It's a bit head spinning. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Okay. Well, thanks for covering her. And uh, I can't wait to hear the rest. Good Lord, to tell everybody. I know it's just as action packed. Truly. Oh, I guess that means it's at a girl time, which yeah, at a girls are where we pat ourselves on the back for something good that we've done or something good that's happened to us. And, I can't stop um, laughing at you two right now. <laughs> at me and Sir William. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you know. He likes he he likes to cuddle when it's on his choosing. Like mm-hmm. he has to be the one to initiate. 
Oh yeah. It can't Absolutely. be because I want to. So no, he's a cat. He's like scratching at me. So I'm like, okay, I'll take the cuddle time because hilarious. It doesn't happen that often. It's got to be on his terms. Yeah, I get it. Same way. Fuck. Um. So my at a girl is that I finally made it to Napa. It was a trip that was planned in 2020 that got canceled because uh, it was going to be in May of 2020. And obviously the world shut down in March. And um, after trying to get the same group of people, because at that time we actually had, I don't know, five or six of us, I think, who were going to go. So then I tried to get a big group again to go and people just kept falling off. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm still doing it. So Carmen and I went to Napa and drank our weight in wine. And it was a great time. (laughs) (laughs) And now we're back to real life. Well, I'm kind of back. I mean, I am. I'm a little out of it. A little jet lagged in the overnight flight where I didn't sleep. I'm like, right. Yeah, and I can really feel that I'm getting older. Well, I mean, also I add a girl for bounce back. Yeah, add a girl for having an overnight flight and still being alive right now. <laughs> I would have canceled. Like, we're not doing it this week. Sorry. <laughs> I thought about it. I thought about it. <laughs> so y'all are lucky she didn't. Right. Right. No, I mean, if I if I would have had to. Uh, given the story, then I probably would have had to cancel, but mm-hmm. I assumed you had already done the work and everything. And I just had to listen. So, yep. Which is fair. Cause I do that to you sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, it wasn't strategic on my part. It just happened to work out that way that I did it last week and it was your turn this week. So yep. here we are <laughs> after you do all, after you did the work, I wasn't going to cancel and be like, mm, just kidding. Perfect. So, um, I had a girl. Playing my garden. I got my garden in the garden. Oh my god! I feel like this is the the everlasting at a girl. Like I hear yeah. about the garden every week. There's a lot of stages <laughs> involved. Let me tell you how we went to a horse farm in Linden, Michigan, middle of nowhere, and collected so many bags of composter topsoil free of course we put in the work did the labor gas whatever well seth two days in a row was hauling dirt back and forth emptying them into the buckets and then finally last night we got them both full and i started planting my plants and i'm very excited so yeah it was a lot of work i'm proud of me and him and us i just gotta make sure it's like animal proofs that the animals don't eat all my shit yeah yeah you got a chicken wire that we've got a bunny who likes to hang he's actually a jack oh you don't have it up no no, we have have... i just blocked everything on the we don't have it up yet because they're not big enough to be eaten they've been outside for like a couple of weeks now nobody's touched them so it's when they get flowers on you didn't have like the raised garden oh i do we do. So how did the bunnies get into the raised garden? I'm thinking of raccoons. 
get the little... these bunnies that like to hang out. I'm like, well, the bunnies can only get it if you plant it in the ground. <laughs> no, but we have chipmunks and shit too. Not like it's going to help with Well, sure, like completely. squirrels and chipmunks and stuff, but that one confused me because I was like, I swear you said you were putting them in a raised garden. <laughs> I'm like, do you have like you know. superpower bunnies? Yes. They're jackrabbits. They have springs for legs. Yeah, they don't go under the, they go over it. It's kind of terrifying. <laughs> Could you imagine if bunnies, instead of burrowing under fences, were like, I'm just going to leap like Superman. Right? Oh, man. There is a squirrel, though, that is very territorial and also massively huge and taunts the dogs on purpose. We'll sit and chatter at them, throw things at them. It's kind of entertaining. Funny. That is funny. I know the squirrels in the city always barked at Gia. That's what I call their chatter. It's like, I was like, the squirrels are barking. I think that's what, oh. yeah, that's accurate. That's an appropriate statement. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Well, well, thank you again. Yeah. If you guys liked what you heard today, please rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends about it. And you can request a whole of history by emailing us at homancepodcast at gmail.com or sending us a DM on Instagram at homance underscore chronicles. Um, we have homance merch available in my Etsy store, etsy.com slash shop slash Nicole Bonneville. And you can also join a closed group on Facebook. It has nothing to do with these women that we're talking about, but um, no, it's our legacy humor. It, <laughs> It is. It's it's connected to our, our older episodes uh, about dating and sex and relationships. And so that's on Facebook, the Homeless Chronicles, uh, Judgment Free Zone. And you just have to request to be part of that closed group. So with yeah. that, Home to be out. continued, oh, yeah. dot, that's dot, right. dot. Now Homeless <laughs> out. <laughs>